Good evening, everyone. Uh, it's a little bit of housekeeping before I get started here. Um, currently working with some of my friends to figure out logistics of doing voice calls and video chats that don't sound like shit, so I can uh, <clears throat> figure out how to make more engaging episodes with actual discussions instead of me just ranting about how I hate the government. So hopefully next week I'll be able to figure that out. But today I have uh, sort of a treat. In one of my history classes that I'm going through, we're talking about different kinds of history and how we history is done by people. And... The other day, we went over public history and how anyone can do public history. And you can just basically write whatever your historical take is, you can run with it. And it gets published. Sometimes it even gets published, even though your historical takes are blatantly racist and incorrect, and you misquote sources. And you misquote uh, actual legitimate historians who have written books. But it's neither here nor there. Today we're going to... I'm going to go over something that's kind of fun, kind of outlandish, but yeah. So about a year or two ago on TikTok, before TikTok gets banned, and I can't look this up anymore in the United States without using a VPN, uh, on TikTok, there was a lady who claimed that uh, Rome, the Roman Empire and that quotations around the Roman Empire and the, because uh, she's very vague about her arguments but that the Roman Empire and Roman culture, more specifically, uh, didn't exist. And that for around, for like a thousand years, that Rome was a civilization, uh, didn't, uh, it didn't matter. It didn't, it didn't exist. It was, she says, in her first video, she says it was made up by the Spanish Inquisition, which is a ridiculous statement if you know anything about the Spanish Inquisition or history. Uh, it's honestly pretty mind-numbing listening to this. It Sometimes I'll look at this stuff in the morning before I go to the gym, and it gives me the biggest motivational boost because some... I don't know why. I just can't deal with it. So I have to go through some catharsis physically we to wrap my mind around what this lady is thinking. More importantly, what she is saying. So, without further ado, I'm going to go over her arguments and her points. Uh, you're not going to be able to hear this. I don't know how to make audio go from... I'm recording this on a single laptop, so I don't know how to make the internal audio from the video that I'm playing go onto the podcast. But I'll summarize after each point so that you understand what the hell I'm talking about. And we can both try to understand what the hell she's talking about. So there's going to be a little bit of silence. Honestly, I could just pause the recording, actually. So I'm going to pause the recording right now. Okay, so her first big point is a point of clarification, where she's saying that... She's not saying that the Roman, the period of time didn't exist, because, of course, time existed. What she is saying is that Roman culture in itself did not exist, and that archaeology doesn't uh, support the idea of Roman culture existing. And she points 
at a long list of different peoples who existed at the time. So she points out the Thracians, the Phrygians, the Illyrians, and all those different people. She's saying that the archaeology supports all these different people existing. Well, yes, the archaeology archaeology supports that because that's what an empire is. It's not everyone. All these people are Roman. All, um, every not everyone in the Roman Empire doesn't get Rome. Well, every man in Rome in within the confines of the Roman Empire doesn't get citizenship until the Emperor Caracalla makes that a thing. Before then, it's just the cities of the Roman Empire are literally just where the Roman Empire has conquered and decided to set up its veterans who earned a bit of land from their conquest. Beyond that, everyone who existed before the Empire came in, assuming they weren't slaughtered or enslaved, still remain there. So this point is pretty mute. Uh, yeah, we'll keep going, see what she has to say. Okay, so still on the first point here, she says that anything that we think of as Roman, like their primary sources that are like etched in stone, she says they came from Greece, Turkey, uh, Syria and Egypt. Well, news newsflash at this time that's where Rome was. Like at the time that we're talking about here, from zero zero AC to well even a little bit before that because of the conquests of uh, Pompeii and the uh Jewish the rebellions by the Jews and uh well, there are a few rebellions by the Jews, but like the first one, the big one that people think of, like the one that happened before Jesus came on the scene. And then uh, the Mithridatic Wars and the uh, wars with Seleucids and all that. And then uh, the big civil war between of Rome that saw Egypt and the death of uh, Cleopatra and Mark Antony, that whole big drama famously uh, enshrined by Shakespeare. Uh, all that was Roman. It was not, it was not culturally Roman because cultural change takes a while. But even that, like, Rome at this period consisted mostly of Latin speakers in the West and Greek speakers in the East. And it would basically stay that way until uh, 476 when the last Roman emperor in Rome was deposed. So, it's it, it hurts because there are we have standing temples and artifacts and we're finding paper not paper well papyrus in Egypt because uh, in Egypt it's pretty dry so the papyrus is can be conserved better better there yeah that's why we have those sources but if it's like talking. If it's a source that is talking about a Roman or a Roman god or anything like that, it is in Latin, which is a big deal because it wasn't put there for the people who lived there. It was put there for the Romans who conquered the place and are essentially setting up shop. And the reason there's not a whole ton of like Roman, uh, Roman as a cultural 
product. She's not even taught. She doesn't even bring up the rest of the empire. It's all about the eastern side of the empire, which spoke Greek because of like the conquest of Alexander 300 years prior to the Romans coming in and setting up shop. And a, and a ton of different uh, languages like Aramaic and uh, Syriac and all that. There was a ton of languages. But the language of the ruling class of the Eastern Mediterranean from the time of Alexander to uh, the fall of, the, of Constantinople in 1453, so almost two millennia, has been Greek. Like if you want, if you were the, the dude, it was always a dude, except for like Theodora, she was kind of a baddie. Uh, if you weren't a dude, if you were a dude who was in charge, you spoke Greek if you lived east of the Italian peninsula. That's a broad statement. Obviously, there's different variations and changes. But anyways, these statements are... They're, they're, she's taking a wrong perspective at what made the Roman Empire an empire, essentially. And that's just the first point, and we're already almost 10 minutes in. So yeah, this might be a longer episode than I thought. Okay, sorry, but still on the first point here, she brings up uh, the aqueducts, how the Romans weren't... It wasn't uniquely Roman to have an aqueduct. Well, yeah. The idea of bringing water someplace else, it's that's like the, one of the biggest things about uh, like irrigation is mind-blowing. You're telling me the Romans didn't invent that when they've been doing irrigation in Egypt and Mesopotamia for thousands and thousands of years prior to like written language becoming a thing? You're telling me, uh, anyways, like uh, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon which was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, uh, it was fueled essentially by aqueducts because you can't have water in the middle of the desert. You have to bring it through aqueducts and varying irrigation systems. She also brings up uh, the Roman gods and how uh, they're essentially copies from uh, older civilizations. And yeah, that's how all... That's how most religions worked. Hell, that's how uh, Christianity and Islam works. We got our God from the tradition of the Jews, the Jewish tradition. Uh, the, Rome, the Greek gods came from uh, the gods of Phoenicia and uh, more the Punic style of gods, which are coincidentally the same gods that are mentioned in uh, the Old Testament of the Bible. Um, and then the Roman gods are just an offshoot of those gods. But also, which thing she doesn't mention, because she doesn't like to talk about the western part of the empire, because I don't know why, probably because that's where a lot of great evidence is, she is uh, she's very nitpicky with that. But the way Romans uh, kind of induced other cultures to like stay in line is they incorporated the gods of these conquered people. Because when you're a polytheistic religion, you don't really have a, uh, a strict policy on membership of who's a god. Most of the emperors you hear about are deified, and there's a massive cult following them. 
but anyways, back to uh, uh, the other peoples. They would incorporate their gods into the pantheon, and they would give these gods other names. And this is in practice that was like only re- unique to the Romans. Like the Greeks did it whenever they uh, encountered the uh, uh, the Egyptians during Alexander's conquest. Uh, they combined the Egyptian, the head, the big hoo-ha, hoo-ha of uh, the Egyptian religion. His name was Amun, and the big honcho of the Greek religion, which was Zeus, into Amun Zeus. Uh, no, Zeus Amun. And basically there was a big cult following around him, and then subsequently a big cult following Alexander and his deification after his death. So all this is nothing new. It's nothing new to society. And this is how these societies reacted to each other and how cultures sort of combined and religions combined to make this. And it was only exacerbated by the early stages of the Roman Empire because Roman citizenship is always a touchy subject within the empire and it plays a huge part in the fall of the Roman Empire and the lack of lands and rights given to the barbarian soldiers who's and communities that settle within the empire. So stopping there, we're hopefully we can get on to the next point. Okay, okay, okay. This is gonna be rough. So she brings up once again two empires later on in history that are in the Eastern Mediterranean. So she's tried and true, she's sticking with, at least she's predictable here. Uh, she brings up the Byzantine Empire, which is essentially after the Western Roman Empire falls in uh, 475, and then the failed, the initially successful, but then failed conquest of Italy and the Western Empire by uh, the Emperor Belisarius and no, the General Belisarius and the Emperor Justinian. He's very famous, by the way. And he's often quoted as being the last Latin emperor of the Eastern Roman Empire. So at that point, you can kind of start seeing, saying that it's not, it's no longer the Roman Empire because it's lost most of the vestiges of being Roman, except the Western schism hasn't happened yet. So Christianity is still is a huge hallmark of being Roman at that point. And uh, <clears throat> the authority of the emperor is still essentially absolute. So it's still a very autocratic, authoritarian and autocratic system that they still have in place that is still very reminiscent. The tax system is the same as from the year 550 is the same as it was in 475. It doesn't change that much. And she also miss, uh, she doesn't ethnically identify the Byzantine Empire correctly or, or the, uh, Turk or the Ottoman Empire. She says that, um, the Byzantine Empire was a Greco-Turkic Empire. So they were Greco-Turkic people, Turkic people, even though the Turks don't even get into Anatolia until the Battle of Manzikert in uh, the first century of this millennium. So like 1,080, I want to say, is when the Battle of Manzikert happened. 
something like that. Uh, it's the cause for the Crusades. It's a huge deal. But, yeah, she completely misidentifies. And that invasion, all that, that happens centuries after the fall of the Roman Empire and the establishment of the Byzantine Empire is the lead-up to the, uh, the Ottoman Empire that eventually overtakes the Byzantine Empire in 1453. So she's just completely off with her timelines and her ethno ethnography here of who these people are. And the Ottomans claim, like, one of their huge things, like, when they took Constantinople, is they took the mantle of Roman Empire by by a variety of conquest. So they identified that cultural link to the ancient empire through the Byzantine Empire. So it's just, it's kind of insulting that she just doesn't understand the people that she's, she's misidentifying all these people. And she can't, she's not understanding that there's this long cultural and historiographical evidence looking her right in the eyes. Ah, uh, okay. I'll stop. I'll stop. All right. So we're on to the next point over a minute into this TikTok that she posted. So it's about three minutes. I'm sorry. I'm really stretching this out. But she really irritates me on this stuff. Uh, this point, she's claiming that uh, any, uh, any historical record or basically she's saying there are no primary sources that are specifically Roman. And that is insane, considering we have several uh, we have several sources direct, like from Roman emperors. Like Augustus has this big old thing, basically on temples and public places throughout the empire. He uh, went around his well after he died. He had essentially his uh, it's essentially his resume. It's basically everything that he did and all the good stuff he did and how he was such a great guy. And essentially that acted to legitimize the rule of his successor, Tiberius. Anyways, that's, oh, that's a whole other thing. Uh, yeah, we have uh, the Regeste, the Edict of Caracalla, the uh, Diocletian. Yeah, I want to say Diocletian's... Uh, edict on maximum prices and that's not even just counting like the poets and the historians and and the clerics and all this just all this stuff of oh, the coins the coins the the monetary we have thousands and thousands of coins from the Roman Empire that people dig up and they're not always gold gold doesn't come into uh, circulation around until like the 4th century so near the end of the Roman Empire is when they start using gold coins but we have this evidence like it's right there you just have to not be so nitpicky and basically what she's doing is she's ignoring all these different things in order to tell this story that the Roman Empire and Roman culture is just made up so yeah okay so she's going on to say that all the sources that we have on the Roman Empire were written by the church in the 14th century to like try to make up this whole grand history of where the church came from. And it's a divine authority 
So this is just, it's just disingenuous. Like I said, it ignores all the other previous facts and findings of people. And uh, it's just, so yeah, the claim that the church had people, because there are two things that you did as a monk. You prayed and you wrote shit down. Well, the stuff that you wrote down was, well, first of all, it was all in Latin. Granted, the Latin deteriorated over time because that's how, that's what happens to languages. Like right now, an English person, two, even like a hundred years ago, or no, not even like, it's not even to say like 400 years ago or 800 years ago, would be able to understand what the hell I'm saying right now. The stuff I'd write down would look like insane gobbledy. It would look like chicken stretch to them because languages change over time. That's how it happens. But uh, what she's saying is that it's all a made-up lie that the church wrote. And so, yes, uh, I'll concede, I guess, that monks and people in monasteries and scriptoriums I don't even, maybe, I'm pretty sure scriptorians are just a part of a bunch of monasteries. But, uh, you, uh, they were essentially just writing the stuff down because they had nothing better to do. And it was one of their, like, one of their roles to do because they were, like, one of the only people, some of the only people who were actually literate. And actually, side point, up until, like, 1900, Hell, I'm pretty sure it was like 19, 1940, 1950. Uh, most people in the world worked in agriculture. Like during the Roman Empire, during uh, the Middle Ages, during uh, the colonial period, everything was like 80 to 90% of people worked in agriculture. Not just specifically, that's not all they did. Because, uh, well, it was labor intensive. You had to do other stuff in order to survive in the world. So most people were farmers. But what, what am I getting at? What am I saying? Uh, so things change. They did write that stuff down, but that's not the only, like I said before, that's not the only sources we have. Um, yeah, so that's, yeah, that's not all we have. Also, uh, one more thing before... I move on is that uh, thinking about like why there's not more historical like records and stuff is because uh, essentially what do you so people just throw away scraps of paper and clothes and books and stuff all the time that's why like did you think like then if you think like today when you get when you buy something you don't think about where their seat goes unless it's like a $300 purchase. But even still, like you're bound to throw that away whenever you get the chance because you don't need that piece of paper just laying around. And But that is actual historical information that historians in the future could use. But you don't think about that. And the Romans at the time weren't thinking about that because they had other stuff to do. Mostly not die of whatever plague was ravaging around them at the time. So anyways... Minute 30 in, got half the video still remaining. Hopefully this goes by. I didn't think this would be more than 20 minutes. Oh, Lord. Okay, uh, 
So she's saying it's weird because we do have documentation from earlier civilizations. Well, yeah. I wonder what those documentations are. She's also saying they burned the originals. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. There's no account of them burning the original uh, uh, scripts of Tacitus and Cicero and all that. Like, we, like we're discovering this stuff at like. Every few years, there's a major discovery in archaeology or just finding text from a millennia ago. It happens all the time. But she's very, she's being very nitpicky, and she's avoiding argumentation here. Okay, so she does, she does uh, bring up that uh, there are these monuments and stuff like Trajan's Column and the Colosseum and stuff like that written. She doesn't bring up anything else, just Trajan's Column and the Colosseum. Well, uh, she says that uh, you can't radiocarbon date uh, rock, but like, yeah, uh, I don't know if that's true or not, but she's supposedly the archaeologist. Um, there's dates, so we can stitch all these together, like, all this stuff together. Like, uh, the Pantheon Rome, it was originally built by, during uh, Augustus's reign by his right-hand man, uh, Agrippa, I think. I think that's what, what his name was. It was essentially built by him. And then, but his name was like still on. I'm pretty sure it's still on there today somewhere. And you, through these different, uh, we don't really need to carbon date this stuff because we can build the story of the Roman Empire with that evidence and the other evidence. Like it all lines up pretty neatly. Like we know when the year of the five emperors was. We know when Commodus was strangled to death. We know all this stuff. We have the writings of Marcus, Marcus Aurelius. We know all this stuff. Like, all this stuff checks out. But she's still implying that there's this grand conspiracy by the Catholic Church, which the Catholic Church doesn't come into prominence until, like, uh, I guess the Western Schism and with iconoclasm. But even then, like, it really doesn't become, like, a huge thing until the Crusades and, um, yeah. It doesn't really become big. And then after that, it's like a whole mess with the Catholic Church. Like the Catholic Church isn't this overarching big bad guy that she thinks. She also uh, mentions that early archaeology was pretty done by a lot of amateurs and that it was essentially just a, uh, a fun project for rich white men to go on so they could dig up the past and make fun of stuff. And sometimes, yeah, like I make fun of stuff all the time. If you don't think that biggest dick is, is the funniest joke about the Roman Empire, you're sorely mistaken. But that's that's what they did at the time. It wasn't like a huge field in his in like science and history. It's still not that great. Like lidar just became a thing. Like we just found out that we can use satellites to look into the ground and map out hard structures. We're probably gonna find so there are sites all over Europe about Roman uh, military camps. And that was the primary uh, settlements of most Roman legions as they went 
a conquering. We're probably going to find a shit more of that stuff with the LiDAR. But there's just not a lot of investment in it because archaeology isn't that uh, lucrative of a business. You mostly do it for the fun of it. Not even the fun of it, just because it's more of a it's a passion project by eccentric people. And the most eccentric people you're going to find in the 18th, 19th, and 20th century are rich white dudes. And they made some damn crazy discoveries. So, yeah. Uh, and there are plenty of women along for the ride, too. Like It's not like there aren't other people also doing this stuff. But you need the capital and you need the money. And at the time, it was mostly those rich white people because of reasons. Like, I could go over them, but then we'd be here for another 30 minutes and this is already taking too long. Uh, you needed resources in order to embark on these endeavors. So, all right. So I don't normally get to talk about Roman concrete, but that's like one of the biggest discoveries in uh, archaeology and history and like probably like the past 50 or 70 probably since the discovery of Troy honestly in the 1930s 1920s uh, so she's makes the point it's, it's a it's a good point until recent evidence has discovered that she says uh, the inscriptions on uh, Trajan's column and the Colosseum and the pan and all these Roman, like, these things, which were concrete, and, like, concrete's not a new thing, but the Romans did it in a way that the concrete could self-repair with, uh, by mixing quicklime into the, uh, concrete mixture, essentially, whenever weathering would occur or something would happen, uh, the water that would essentially be weathering the stone or the concrete, uh, would activate this quicklime, and the quicklime would essentially harden. Not harden, I don't know exactly how it works, I'm not a, I'm not a chemist. But it resulted in the Roman, in Roman concrete being is extremely well, like extremely durable, and essentially self-repairing. So she also claims like there's no, you can't carbon date anything in the Colosseum or anywhere like that because uh, there's an artifacts and to it. Oh. So there are no, there are artifacts, but they're not inside of these big buildings that would have been looted and deconstructed because during the quote unquote dark ages, there are no such thing as the dark ages. It's just the middle ages of history because we like as humans, we like to categorize, uh, things in thirds. Uh, So yeah, there's nothing there because one, these major cities have been ransacked multiple times during the fall of the Roman Empire. And then the people left behind to clean up the mess needed materials and stuff to build. And hey, there's a massive Colosseum that no one's using. I need a new house. I'm going to take some of that rock. And yeah, uh, Roman concrete, concrete, there's no signs of weathering because the Romans didn't, uh, they didn't do that weird weathering bullcrap. They made concrete that lasted. Alright, so I get to kinda I get to end this with a uh, a banger. Uh, so there is a story of so uh the Silk Road was essentially a trading 
uh, highway between what was, I forget which dynasty, probably not the Qing, uh, that was the last dynasty, I don't know what I'm talking about, one of the Chinese emperor, empires at the time, and uh, the Roman Empire. Essentially, goods from China were making their way across Asia and finding its way to the Eastern Mediterranean. Um, and essentially, so uh, the Chinese and Europeans have been in contact with each other far longer than most people even imagine. But uh, she's bringing up that there is an account of the Chi of Chinese people coming to Rome in order to basically report on it and tell the uh, the Chinese emperor at the time what the deal was with this great empire on the other side of the world. Uh, she says that the, those accounts don't mention a Roman empire. They mention a, uh, a Syrian empire, which doesn't make the slightest sense because uh, Assyria... Syria, Assyria, hasn't been like a major global, like a major power in the ancient world, at least until like since the Assyrian, since the Neo-Assyrian Empire during the like time of Babylon, during the Bronze Age, essentially. So that's just insane. But it's a great story because basically between Rome and China was a massive empire, essentially a neo uh, Persian Empire called the Parthian Empire. It was very decentralized, very loosely organized. They won some battles against the Romans. The Romans won some battle against them. It's basically the Romans and the Parthians have a tug of war throughout their entire existence. Even when assassins come along in Persia, it's still just a tug of war between the Romans and uh, the Persians. But uh, so, in order to get to Rome from China, you had to go through uh, the empire. And because going through there meant that the Parthians were a middleman between the trade of Rome and China, they um, had very little interest in seeing the Romans and the Chinese cooperate on any sort of way. So they told, they essentially ex exaggerated how long it would take the Chinese uh, agents to reach Rome. And basically said, we'd tell you all about it. And they made Rome seem, first off, a lot further away and a lot less significant than it was. And, yeah. And also, like, the translation's very, very weird here. Because we're talking about languages that... I'm pretty sure they're, like, they're distant, 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 distant distant cousins are like around today with like Persian and Manchurian and all that. But it's a crazy story. It's crazy to bring this up as a point because even like in the story itself, the source is being misdirected. Like we can see by reading against the grain of that source, we know that that source is being lied to through a retrospective lens. But we also understand why it's being lied to. So this is just a terrible point. Her, all her points are terrible. It's not that she doesn't know what she's doing. She's grasping at straws trying to create this narrative that the Catholic Church and white, amateur, affluent, white, so rich, white, amateur archaeologist in the post-colonial period. Well, during the Imperial Age, I guess. 
the like, during the colonial period up to uh, the modern period that they are evil and they've been lying to us about this grand history when as historians we all know that this history all li- like the timeline that we've made it all lines up due to these sources and due to the evidence that we have um, so I'm gonna finish if there's like 20 seconds left on the video I'm gonna see if she says anything else hopefully not I've taken up too much every time but if you're still listening thank you thank you very much okay last hopefully very last thing there's 10 seconds left on this video hopefully she doesn't say anything else um, she says we don't know how advanced Syria was at the time of this report because at the time of this Chinese uh, expedition to Rome because archaeologists can't do any new research into uh, Syria during the time. So she's essentially making up an empire right here. That's saying like there's a, some power on the eastern edge of the Mediterranean that was that we don't know anything about. Well, we do know about it because we have evidence of the cities of Antioch, Palmyra, Aleppo. Aleppo has gone through some shit recently. But all these... Syria is an... It's old. The archaeology in Syria goes back thousands and thousands of years. It's essentially part of the cradle of civilization. But... At the time that she's talking about... Syria was firmly in the grasp of the Roman Empire. And it was hev- and it was heavily Hellenic. Culturally, it was Hellenic. But politically, it was Roman. The sources say it. The Yeah, that's all really all I have to say is the sources say it. Like all the, the inscriptions, the writings, everything. That's I'm getting Getting antsy. Getting really tired. Uh, yeah. So the fact that archaeologists can't get in there right now, yes, it's sad. Yes, it's a great place to do archaeological uh, research. But it doesn't change the fact that there's already been extensive archaeological research in the country of Syria at the time. And the Syria we know, know today is very different than from the Syria that she's essentially talking about. Because, like I said, there hasn't been an Assyrian, a local, like a cinch, like the idea of Syria as its borders now is very recent. And, but the Syrian people are, well, actually, uh, that place has faced a lot of uh, ethnic and cultural changes since the beginning of civilization. So it's very hard to know what she's trying to pin down here. So I'm going to finish this and I'll leave you all with one final thought on this video and yeah, then I'll say goodbye. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I thought I was done. I thought, I thought it couldn't get crazier than her bringing up the very obscure story of Chinese agents trying to reach from, uh, so she's saying in this point, oh my God, I can't believe these words are about to come out of my mouth. She's saying that the city of Rome didn't exist 
as a municipality until until uh, the 1500s. She's saying that the city of Rome itself, Rome itself was created by the church. I can't even, this lady is off her goddamn rocker with this one. You can't, um, there's, there's a phrase, there's a very famous uh, phrase uh, goes like Rome wasn't built in a day. Um, yeah, that's because Rome at one time, just the city itself, not even it's like vicinity held over a million people at its height. Rome was one of the most populated cities in the world, probably the most populated city in the world by the standards of its time. Um, it, yeah, this is just insane. We've already brought up architecture and how you can't uh, radio carbon date, but also, and she, she tries to debunk all the ways that historians do work and basically relying on this bullshit archeological, not even arche pseudo archeological thesis that a socio, I can't even think of like what, sh what field this shit would even fall into. Cause she's trying to be like a social justice thing. Like, Oh, white men, bad white, like, yeah, for certain things, but not for helping uncover and track the past. Like the past isn't, the past doesn't see this color or this divide. It's just, this is what happened. And I guess, yeah, there's a certain way in remember, we're definitely seeing like a huge debate in our public schools now about what history should be taught. But this is history that like, it's like, it's like, it doesn't really affect us now. You're just trying to create this anti-church narrative that for some reason, for some reason you're, she's running with. Oh, I can't let this thing hit uh, an hour. So hopefully I'll, I can stop this recording in the next few minutes. But my last thought here is that history is very fun. I love doing history. I love reading about history. I've loved all of my history courses I've taken in college. Definitely. If you're in college right now or going to college in a few years, take as many history courses as you can because your professors know a ton. They love talking about it. Go to your office hours. No one goes to your, their professor's office hours anymore. I don't know why anymore. They just don't go. I've gone to so many office hours. Like I've gone to see my professors like five times already. But I love history. This lady is making a crack pot thesis about how the Roman Empire didn't exist. And it hurts because I know some people are going to just see the message that it was made up by the church and think that's entirely plausible. And it's just false. I don't have any links. I don't have, I don't have any sources to pull up. Uh, this isn't that kind of podcast, not yet. Thank you for listening. Uh, if you enjoyed my little rant, please subscribe, I guess. I've never asked someone to subscribe to anything before. Uh, follow. I think it's follow. Subscribe and follow. Uh, leave a review. Is that a thing I need to say? I don't have a script here. Uh, but thank you for listening. Uh, if you stayed this long, uh, I love you and have a wonderful night. Goodbye.